Thank you, Barb. Uh, Bonnie and Jerry, our program chairs, will now introduce our closing speakers. Bonnie and or Jerry. Okay. Bonnie, please get up here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get to – I like to boss them around. <laughs> it's very ineffective, though. <laughs> Remember, I didn't wear my scarf. <laughs> I'm Bonnie Compulsive Overeater. So uh, I'm really excited with great pleasure to announce uh, our first of – we have two speakers – uh, tonight, today, and um, I've known this person for years. He's a big book thumper from the old school. I know that he's gone through the big book line by line. He encouraged me to go through the big book. Uh, before he um, retired, he was a firefighter. He used to invite us to come down and bring our kids or grandkids to sit on the fire truck. He never let me sit. I was probably too big, but... And I, I bring this up for a reason. Is this person, he goes to any lengths for his program. And we have had these wonderful retreats, Sacramento Valley Intergroup. As a matter of fact, we have one uh, at the beginning of August at Tahoe, if, you, if you're interested, flyers over there. And we used to have them at Citrus Heights. Well, this person, since he's willing to go to any lengths for his program, would, he, was, he would bring food to the retreat. And he brought his toaster to the retreat. Well, guess what? The next thing we know, the fire alarms are going off. <laughs> I'm sure the fire trucks came. And did I mention he was a firefighter? <laughs> and so with that, I introduce our own Sacramento's hot smoking fireman, Tom H. <laughs> Don't ever let anybody introduce you who has known you for 30 years because they know stuff. Hi, everybody. I'm Tom, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And it's so so funny that Bonnie mentioned that because um, I had oh, it's so funny that Bonnie had mentioned that. Hold on, because I had uh, thought about that story Thursday night. Went okay, and then I saw Bonnie Friday night, and she said, "Tom, do you remember?" And I'm going, "Oh, what's it going to be this time? (laughs) The bagel story?" Okay, yeah. So I had bagels with me. That was during my bagel phase, and uh, yeah, I burnt the bagel and. my ex-wife came, and, and I, the, fire, the, fire, the guys came through the, the hallway, and I, knew, and I knew a couple of them, you know. That wasn't me. No, no, I don't know what's going on. It wasn't me. And so then, so my ex-wife came. She goes, did you burn your bagel? And so I said, oh, my God. That was so funny. It's like, I was, like, mortified. I gotta check, let's check my time here. So, up higher? There we go. How's that? Okay. So, um, yeah, I was, like, mortified. So, uh yeah, you know, many, many, many stories. Lots, lots, of, lots, of, lots of long-time friends here, too, I've known for, for many years. And there was another incident with, I don't know where Phil is, but, uh, but Phil L., we were at another, uh, at the first retreat I ever led was in Cobb Mountain um, in uh, Lake County. It may have burned down to the fires. Oh, there's Phil right there, yeah. So we, we were in this cabin, uh, kind of an open-air cabin thing, and uh, I had food with me. And uh, Phil woke up. He saw a raccoon in my food. <laughs> Tom, it's a raccoon. <laughs> that was too much. Anyway, so, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, that's uh, uh, our adventures before and after, right, according to the big book. But um, so um, A.G. Ainsworth was the first man who was ever in OA. And uh, he actually started a program called Gluttons Anonymous in Texas. And he heard about this group called Overeaters Anonymous in California. And he met our founder, Roseanne. And um, so he, was, uh, he wanted to come to the OA convention, but 
men weren't allowed then. We weren't voted in until 1962, you know. <laughs> and so, so AG uh, to, always told me to, you know, do the numbers first. So I want to say that uh, uh, I've been in OA since 1979, and I got here when I was in kindergarten, you know. And uh, <laughs> I wish. And uh, my top weight was 305 pounds, and I'm maintaining a 140-pound weight loss. And, uh, yeah. And this is the belt I used to wear at work in the firehouse. And I started here, and I ended here. And uh, it's 19, 19 loops. And I actually measured for the first time I measured it, and it's 18 inches. So I lost 18 inches off my waist in my first, like my first year of abstinence. I got, I got abstinent uh, January 15, 1989. So I have 10,759 days of abstinence. But who's counting, you know? So it's... <laughs> So it's, it's a miracle for me, and it's, uh, it's 29 years and six months. And uh, I'm, I'm pretty amazed my, myself that I, was, that I was able to do it. And with all your help, because like the, the, the theme is together we can. And uh, I was foaming at the mouth for OA for many years, you know, like Bonnie said. I went so far as to get this license plate. <laughs> if you can't read it in the back, it says I-O-O-A. And it was on my car for many years. And I used to, I'd be on the freeway, and someone would pass me by, and they start screaming at me. They were also, also in OA. So, yeah, it's a wonderful. It's a wonderful program. You know, I, you know, we say we we might be dead if we if we weren't here. And I don't know. You know, I don't know where I'd be right now. It's 305 pounds. I could still be. I could be at a lower weight and be 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 really miserable and and be an unhappy person. But through the steps and and the recovery I found here, I'm really this is this is a different time. You can, ask some, you can ask some of the people how I used to have it, act at intergroup 30 years ago. <laughs> In fact, when Bonnie said, Tom, do you remember? I go, oh, no, it's one of those intergroup things, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but, it, but it wasn't. So um, anyway, yeah, so um, just grateful to be here. And, and my story is that I, I couldn't stop eating. You know, I, was, uh, I, 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 I think I learned out. I think I got the disease when I was in kindergarten or in, in the, probably in the high chair um, from an alcoholic family. My father was an alcoholic. Mother was a untreated codependent. Uh, brother and sisters were alcoholics, and I was the, I was the baby, little Tommy, little fat Tommy. And I turned to food uh, really early on, you know. And I don't know how, and I don't know why. Um, it just was always part of my life. It was like endemic. It was it was like it was I was it felt like it was it was like genetic or in my DNA that I was just meant to eat. Be a compulsive overeater, and um, talks about that in the big book and in uh, uh, a doctor's opinion. It said. Men and women, it says, men and women eat essentially for the effect produced by the food. And I didn't realize that I was not eating for the food as much as the effect produced by it. That, ah, that relief I used to get. You know, it was like, finally, you know, the tension in the, in, in the alcoholic family, the, uh, 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 you know, the, 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 the fear I had as a, as a young kid. It's, it's very confusing, very confusing to be, uh, uh, in a, for a child to be in an alcoholic family. I didn't know what to expect. When my father walked in their door, I don't know if he was going to be drunk, if he was going to be sober, if he was going to be fired. He was, a, he was in the newspaper business. He worked in many, many newspapers, fired in many, many newspapers. I didn't know if he was going to be hungover, in a good mood, in a bad mood. And I had to, and I had to respond, you know. And, uh, and that was how it was, you know, in, 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 in my family. And, uh, you know, and it, it says, and it goes on to say that, you know, the, the alcoholic life or the compulsive eating life, the compulsive eating life is the only one they knew, and it was the only one I knew. You know, my, 
Uh, it was just it was what I always did and, and didn't know there was ever going to be any, any change. And I would lose weight over the years before I got to OA. I, could, I lost weight in high school. You know, I got down to a really low weight. I've had 160-pound weight, weight swings in my life, but I'd always gain it back, you know, and think I was, like, insane. It's like, I'm crazy. You know, I'm at this low weight now, and I'm crazy. I have to go to this place and get this, get this stuff no matter what. You know, so, um, you know, and, and the, it goes on in that, in that chapter. It says we were restless, irritable, and discontented. And that's what it was. I think about now when I want to eat, it's always the same thing. It was, it was like I'm restless, I'm irritable, I'm discontented, I'm afraid, I'm, I'm, I'm something. You know, something's going on here. And, um, and you know, in this, in, in this family, it was like um, I used to watch this, t- this TV program, Leave it to Beaver, when I was a kid. And, you know, and this is a long time ago. The TV was like, TV screen was like as big as this podium, but the, but the, the box, but the screen was this big, you know. <laughs> and I sit there and I look at Ward and Ward and and, and uh, June, thank you, Wally and the Beaver. And I was the baby, so I was supposed to be the Beaver, you know. And I'd look over my shoulder, and all I saw was my family of origins. Like, well, this is this is not the, the this is not the Leave It to Beaver family, you know. So. You know, uh, uh, I was the I was the biggest kid, and in, in every school I was ever ever in, uh, you know, I would my weight would go up and down. Like Bonnie said, I got in the fire service in nineteen in the early in the mid seventies as a firefighter for thirty years, and uh, I got to where I'd get I get these evaluations. Tom is doing a great job, but you know, and and, uh, and I was way over what I was supposed to weigh, and it was it was really kind of really kind of terrifying. So um, in 1979, I went to my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting in uh, Roseville, at Roseville General Hospital, and some of the people that I remember from, from way back then, and Bonnie and I have a friend that uh, we were probably in the same meeting that night. And uh, so they show me this after the meeting. I thought it was like a weight loss club. I had no idea what it was, you know. And so I'm thinking, uh, so someone walks up to me and shows me this thing called the gray sheet, you know, and I thought you, could all, you all had dirty linen, you know. And um, so I look at this thing, and so like four ounces of this, four ounces of beef, four ounces of chicken, four ounces of this. And I thought, well, that'd make a nice sandwich, you know. And, they, and they're, they're saying, oh no, no, that's what. This is what you get. To, this is one one serving, you know. There's no way I could do that, you know. And they talked about the the 301, three, you know, three, three meals a day, you know, one, uh, uh, one day at a time, nothing in between. That's something I've never, probably never done. I got think about OA. The, the beauty is, you know, we have our own food plans, our own plan of eating, our own abstinence. And I've made, I've made, I've made um, uh, friends with food now. You know, my bottom line has actually been raised around food. I haven't got the food shame, or or, or I had, or I'm much, I'm real, I'm real good now with with my plan of eating and how I how I eat. So um, went to that meeting and uh, stuck around for a while, and I thought it was a weight loss club. The whole thing went over. I thought I was, you know, so bright. The whole thing went over my head about the spiritual program of recovery. And, uh, and so I'd go back every week, and I'd share every part. I lost two pounds this week, you know. <laughs> lost two pounds this week. Lost three pounds this week, you know. And, then, and, I, and uh, I didn't, didn't get a big book right away. I got, this, uh, I got the original uh, OA book called The Chocolate Book. Got that. <laughs> I go home, and I read the book, and, oh, you poor people, you know, and, and it's like... And like, and like I was one, but I didn't get it, you know. And so I was, I was in and out of the club for like almost ten years, and uh, gained another hundred pounds, and was up over three hundred pounds, and got really desperate, and really knew I needed help. So, uh, and in, in the meantime, um, I had to de- develop some other addictions. Imagine that, you know. And uh, one of them was uh, uh, uppers and amphetamines and uh, methamphetamine. 
And I realized that all meth did was make me eat faster. I was like, <laughs> so, so, so all my all my all my all my meth fans look like skeletons, you know, and, and I'm like 300 pounds. It's like, what is wrong with this? What's wrong with this picture, you know? So I kind of took I kind of took care of that addiction in um, 80, 1988, and then I came back to OA with just a, just this firm thing where. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to keep doing it for 30 years now. I've kept coming back, you know, without without a break. Even when I tra- I travel, you know, I've been I've traveled uh, after I retired from the fire service in 2004. I got another job with the federal government working on federal disasters, and I've been from Boston to Pongo Pongo, American Samoa, and back many times, and all over the country. And you know, I'd find a way every, everywhere I went. You know, I found a way in Detroit. I found a way in New Jersey. I found a way in in Jefferson City, Missouri, you know, and it's just, uh, it's amazing, and I made friends all over the country, but, um, so when I, so, uh, so I finally got, when I got here, so I got, so I got this sponsor dude, okay, after I'm coming, after I was, uh, I got abstinent January 15th, 89, and what happened that day was, the day before, I'd been to this, uh, dessert diner in downtown Sacramento, a very famous dessert diner, and I was, uh, after, uh, first I went to the nine o'clock, uh, Saturday morning meeting, I left, went to the dessert diner. I'm eating this big thing, you know, and I'm writing my sponsor, telling him how wonderful I'm doing, looking down at this thing here. I'm like, I'm writing over here. I'm left hand. I'm writing here. I'm looking at this thing, you know, and this coffee, and I'm going, you are a liar, you know. So, so uh, the next day I had to work and uh, put this belt on, and uh, went to, went to the fire station. On the way, I went. I shopped for my food, and and uh, I saw I shopped at that Safeway on Alhambra. And I got the, what I was going to be my absent food that day. And, of course, I never stuck to it. You know, we had these uh, candy bar funds, and you could buy stuff in the firehouse, you know. And, God, I went through that stuff. I tore through. One day, one day, I woke up. I was the last one to get out of bed, and I was the middle-of-night eater, okay. I woke, I woke up, and there was four of us. And, and where I sat, there was 14 uncrumpled candy bar wrappers because I had gotten up in the middle of the night eating 14 candy bars, you know. And, you know, I, I met someone from San Francisco that said she ate 44 Mars bars in one day. So I'm, I'm just a piker with 14, you know. <laughs> but uh, so I go to work that day, January 15th, 1989, my first day of absence. Had no idea. Had no idea that was going to be my, my, my first day or my last day, last day of, uh, first day of absence. And I walked in the, and I bought my food, went to firehouse. I was working in a downtown station. And the first thing, and I went in the bathroom and I got on my knees and, you know, I don't, I'm not much of a prayer anymore, and uh, I'm really in the meditation practice, but I uh, got on my knees, and I said, this is bigger than me. I can't do it. I, I cannot do this alone anymore. And um, so I stuck to my food plan that day, and it was a lot more than I will eat today, but it was abstinent for me at the time when I considered it abstinent, and it was. And uh, I woke up the next morning, and I realized I had 24 hours of absence, 24 hours, one full day. I had not been since Saturday night. It was a Monday morning. I couldn't believe it. You know what? That's been 10,758 days ago. And I wasn't willing to give up. I wasn't willing to give up 10 minutes of that abstinence then, and I'm not willing to give up 10 minutes of it now. You know? It's like, 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 we, like we say around here, abstinence feels better than any food tastes. And it's really true. So I went to, um, so a couple, two days later, I went to a meeting that, that day. There used to be a 3 o'clock meeting on Sunday in midtown Sacramento. Uh, then I went to a meeting on Monday and Tuesday. I went to another meeting and met the guy that was going to be my sponsor. And I took a service position. 
Service kept me absent for years, believe me. I was in service for a long time around here until I got this job with the, this, the, federal, with the federal government, and I was gone so much. So I got this sponsored dude, and he was in AA and had like 10 or 12 years sobriety, and he was uh, also in OA. And uh, so we started meeting together, you know, and I'm really having trouble with the God thing, really having trouble with the God thing, and uh, didn't believe in God. Just, you know, I mean, when I was, I, when I was in high, I graduated from high school in 1968, so I'll do the math for you. I'm 68 years old, <laughs> 68 and 50. So, um, so um, uh, yeah, I just, you know, the year I graduated from high school, Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Martin Luther King was assassinated. There was a war in Vietnam. A million people were dying. I, was like, I just said they can't be a god. They just can't be a god. So I got this guy that was very spiritual, and um, so we work, he'd come over to my house like once a week. We'd work steps, and I'd make a pot of coffee, and we'd sit there, and I'd tell him how much weight I lost, and he'd talk about God. And the next week, the next week, I would um, tell him how much weight I lost, and he would talk about step 11, you know. And the next week, I would tell him how much weight I lost, he would talk about step 7. I said, maybe this is a spiritual program, you know. So I, so, so I, I looked a little closer at it, and, uh, I, and I, I, I had trouble with the steps, but I looked at that step 11, you know, and uh, didn't like the prayer, but I thought, maybe I can do this meditation thing, you know. So I started, med- I started going to um, the American River and sitting and... Uh, and meditating, and my mind was going like a like a buzzsaw, you know, like five thousand thoughts a second. I didn't know what I was doing. There was nothing. There wasn't a whole lot about meditation in English then that I could find anyway. So, um, so I would just sit and just sit and try to calm my mind, you know. And and what I noticed was I would be sitting on the El Monte Bar by the American River. I noticed how muddy the river was. It's like real muddy, real you know, real muddy. And then I'd see the little eddy pools close to the Close to the closer to the shore, and they would just be circle and be real slow, and they'd be real still, and they'd be real deep, and the water would be real clear. And I realized that's what the meditation practice was doing in my mind. It was clearing it, you know. And and and, uh, it, and then there was still mud in there, you know. There was still mud in there on the bottom, you know, like they say in Asia, you know, that um, as, as as the mud, you know, the, the the lotus grows as the in, you know deeper in the mud, d- deeper mud. And, um, and that's what I found, you know, and, and so I, I kind of kept that up. I started with that, with that, and then I got into that. Slowly, this guy got me into the other steps, and I started looking at step one, and, and I realized that, that, you know, I'm, I knew I was powerless, but I just couldn't stop and didn't want to stop. I was still in this self-will thing, you know, and, and so I looked at the big book at this, uh, at this story about the guy they call the jaywalker, you know, and, and the jaywalker is this guy, if you haven't read it, it's in, the, in on more on alcoholism, more on compulsive eating, and this guy has this obsession with, with running in front of cars, jaywalking, trying to get away with it. You know, and one more time, I'm going to get away with it. And he finally gets hit by a fire truck, of course. You know, and <laughs> works for me. And uh, and and, uh, uh, and I was like the jaywalker. You know, I was trying one more time. I'm going to do this one more time. And you know, even now, uh, now I go to these some of these functions, and these people have these little plates with this dessert on it, and I go. Well, I can do that. I go, no, I can't. No, I can't because this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat this. I'm going to run home, and then I'm going to get busy. You know I mean? I'm going to get busy, and, that, and that's what I do. So, so the jaywalker turned into, and then I got another, heard another story about Thomas Edison, the inventor of the light bulb. He took him 10,000 experiments to get the light bulb right. So it was like 9,999. Couldn't do it. Inventor of the light bulb. And I must have had 9,999 attempts at, at abstinence, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I would start my day even way before uh, 08. I'd start my day 
with the, this firm, this firm commitment and intention, I wasn't going to do it today. And by 10 o'clock, the disease had me, had just had me. And I was back in. I'd go to these little stop and rob places, little 7-Eleven joints, you know, and I'd get this stuff and eat all this stuff until I was sick, you know. And then, and then I'd wait. I'd eat until I was nauseated, wait for the nausea to go away, and keep, keep eating. And a lot of it was like self-hate, you know. It was self-hate. I was doing it. And it's that downward spiral of, of food, you know, uh, food and more food. And I would eat because of the food and over the food and because of the weight and, and because I was gaining weight. And, God, it's like, it was crazy. So I realized, man, there was a, there was a, way, there was a way out of here, you know. And, and, and then I got into the other steps, like step two, the hope and the, hope and the belief, and step three, and, and like belief and faith. And, and, and I had this guy, I used to sponsor over my house. It was like my previous house. And so it was like in the mid-'90s. And I was growing these tomatoes. And I had this little tiny plant about this big, you know. And it's pretty easy to grow tomatoes in Sacramento, in case you didn't know. I had this little tiny plant, like three inches tall. And I had this rebar, you know, the wire they put in concrete. This rebar is like this big around, this big wire thing. And it was seven feet high. And this guy says, you've got a lot of hope on these tomato plants. I said, I I have hope and I have faith. I said, by the time we meet in October, I said, these things are going to be seven feet tall, as, as high as a rebar. And so... It was a, kind of a cool summer, and they weren't growing. You guys got to grow. <laughs> I told Bob, you were, you know. <laughs> and so it got hot, and the thing started growing. And pretty soon, they're like 11 feet high, you know. It looked like a volcano with tomatoes and stuff. And the guy came over. I said, what did I tell you? And it's the same thing in programs. So we got hope, and we got faith. You know, we know. We know it works, you know. We know it works. And, you know, for our, for our new friends, it does work. And our returning friends, it, it does work, you know. Um, I used to say the good news is the program works. The bad news is we're your new we're your new friends, you know. But 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 uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. You're my new friend. <laughs> I'm your new friend. Excuse me. And and uh, but but really, it's it's all about um, it's more about desire for me now. You know, it's just a desire that to, you know my favorite my favorite step is eleven. My favorite tradition is three. And it says the only requirement for membership is there's a desire to stop eating compulsively. So I really like that word desire. And so I looked at the, up the uh, etymology of the word desire, and it means to be aligned with your star. And uh, I was not aligned with my star. I was never aligned with my star. And now I'm aligned with my star. I'm not even sure which one it is, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it can be Venus in the west, and recently it's been Jupiter in the east. I was backpacking recently. Up in the mountains where you know it's totally dark, we could see Jupiter, we could see Venus at the same time. It's like, oh my God! And then uh, uh, Saturn was uh, two nights ago. Saturn was real bright under the uh, under the moon, you know. And see, that's where my higher power comes from, is the cosmos now. You know, I don't have no God the Father. You know, I don't have no Him or no Her. You know, there's the cosmos, the you know the uh, the whole. Uh, the stars and the planets, you know, it's like there's no beginning and there's no end to it, you know. It's amazing, you know. It's just the whole thing, the fact that, the, you know, it's got to be a higher power, okay? That right now we're moving 66,000 miles an hour around the sun, okay? We're going to go, we travel a half a billion miles a year to make that one-year circuit in 365 a quarter days, you know. It's amazing, man. I don't know I'm going that fast, you know. Uh, um, you know. <laughs> And we also, and the earth also turns a thousand miles an hour, you know, to, to make, the, to make the, the daily rotation, you know. 
just that that kind of stuff just amazes me. And we're in this one little gal- we're in this one little universe, you know, around this one around this one star, in this one galaxy, the Milky Way. If you look at night on a clear night, you can see this this band in the sky. If it's real dark, and the, that's part of us. We're in part of one of the bands of the Milky Way. And that's one galaxy, and there's another 275 billion galaxies out there. So there's like no beginning and no end to this. So there's got to be something out there, you know. It's not him, it's not her to me, but it's out there, you know. And, and um, so, you know, I continued with the, with the steps, you know, and, and uh, I looked at six, step six and step seven, I realized those are the wisdom steps, okay. You know, we say humility, we say willingness, but they're really... It's really, to me, it's just the wisdom. You know, it's like the wisdom to know the difference in the, in the serenity prayer. Because, well, you know, when, I, when, I, when, when, they wear, when I've worn them out or they wear me out, you know what? It's like I know it's, the, it's, it's, when, it's when it's time to quit. And just through the wisdom alone, I've been able to overcome some of them. And I'll tell you a story about myself. It happened four or five years ago. Okay, so I'm in my doctor's office, you know, and I'm waiting for her to come in. And I see these latex gloves. I said, I need some of those. So I walk up, and I grab a little handful, and just as I put it in my pocket, my doctor walks in, you know, and I've known her almost 20 years, and I don't know if she saw, them or saw me or not. I was like mortified, mortified. It's like, man, you don't need to do that. What about the honesty? It's like the wisdom, the wisdom. Then I went to Costco, and I bought some. They cost four cents a piece, you know, like, 400 gloves for 10 bucks. And I'm risking my integrity over 25 cents worth of gloves. It's amazing, man. That's how I learned. That's how I learned. It's like with the, with the eating. When the price got high enough, you know, it's like, it's like there, was no, there was no payoff. I was ready to stop, you know. And, um, you know, I just continued to do this thing. And, and I really just want to make a pitch for service. You know, like service is what got me abstinent. Service is what keeps me abstinent. And that and sponsorship. And like I said, I got that first little secretary job in 1989. Like January 17th, I'm a, I'm a freak for numbers. January 17, 1989, I got that, and then I got a few other secretary jobs, and then I started to go to intergroup, and um, and then I, I got in the retreat committee, and um, and we were meeting the Citrus Heights, and I found this spot at Lake Tahoe at Zephyr, Zephyr Point. So Bonnie and I, we, I loaded my car up one day, went up to in 1995, went up to Zephyr Point, and we got this spot. And separate point, and I got on the, I was on the retreat committee for years, you know. In fact, it was I was kind of involved in it too much. I kind of really had my, I know we don't do it that way. That's not Tom's way, you know. And I realized at that point it was time to get off, you know. And and then um, there wasn't any noon meetings downtown, and so uh, the midtown, and there was a need for them. So me and this other guy um, started uh, the Tuesday meeting, and then a Thursday meeting, and then a Monday and a Wednesday and a Friday meeting. And then, uh, so we had meetings every, and then uh, I went to an a, a OA birthday party in um, 1990 or 1991. I just lost over 100 pounds, and I went to a 100-pound emphasis meeting, and they said, there was like about this many people. There's like 200 people there, and they said, uh, how many people here have lost 100 pounds or more? And I'm thinking there's like 10. It was like 75 or 80 in L.A. It was like, it was amazing, you know? So I said, I'm going to go home. I'm going to start a 100-pound emphasis meeting. So I, I, I started a 100-pound emphasis meeting, and it, it grew from 10 to 20. We get over 100 people there some nights, you know. It was, uh, yeah. And I, and I did a, started a meditation meeting. I got really, really involved in service. And the more service I did, the more, uh, the more, it, the more, the more I stuck around. And I'm so glad because there was a period there from, for, for many years where I was, uh, um, you know, I was out of town. I was, I was out of the state. I was out of the country, you know, and I was eating in hotels and that kind of thing. And I had to, I had to figure that whole thing out. Thank you. And, um, you know, so anyway, it, 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 it worked for me. 
And then the sponsorship thing. You know, I started sponsoring really early on. Like I had six months of six months of abstinence, and uh, and I was like, I was I, I was still you know 50 pounds below my goal weight. And uh, some guy asked me to sponsor him, and uh, and I said, well, I got to go talk to my sponsor. And this guy was had a year and a half abstinence, and so so he goes, I already talked to your sponsor. Your sponsor sent me to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. So. So I became a sponsor at, at six months, you know, and it, it talks about that in the big book. Nothing will more ensure our recovery than working with others. It says that in Chapter 7, and that is so true, you know. So I started sponsoring then and uh, sponsored men for years, and I still do. And uh, I didn't know how to say no for a long time, and I had more, more sponsees that I, could, that I could really handle. And uh, I finally learned how to say no, you know. And even as far as the, like the, the convention committee, I was asked many times to get on this con- the convention committee this year, and I learned how to say no. And um, uh, I've kind of got some other volunteer uh, things. I do uh, I do a volunteer position at a at a, a, a nonprofit downtown, and I lead meditation at Folsom Prison on Friday nights, and I do some other things, you know. And and um, it's like, wow, I just got too busy, but. But 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 step eleven, man. I want to talk about my favorite my favorite tradition tradition three. My favorite step step eleven. I found more through meditation. I found more in silence than I ever found speaking. I get more out of between the words and the words. And when I go to meetings and there's silence, and someone says I can't stand the silence anymore, I can't stand the silence. You know, I love the silence. And um, I started doing uh, you know practice outside the program. And I never thought I'd have a spiritual community. I have a spiritual community now. You know, I do these. Uh, I've done some um, uh, really very long silent retreats. I got two more coming up. But you know, step eleven is where it's at. You know, the knowledge and the power of a higher power's will for me. That's what I'm seeking today. And I'm just looking for the knowledge and the power of the universe and the cosmos for me today. And um, I got to tell you this: this together we can theme. I could never do it without you guys. Never, never. Even though I'm a long timer now, not an old timer because I don't like the word old. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> I'm a long timer now, uh, uh, but uh, you guys keep you guys keep me absent. And when I see someone get a 30-day chip, it's like wow, wow, 30 days. That's to me. That's more. That's bigger than 30 years. I mean, 30 days is such a miracle, you know. And it's just to see people recovery. Like you know, it says to see people recover around us is a miracle in step 12. And it's like anyway. So, oh, it's you guys. Love you guys. Thanks. Somebody get up here. Jerry. Hi, I'm Jerry, a compulsive, clumsy eater. (laughs) Um, I'm here to introduce our second speaker. There's a saying I heard years ago, you cannot fail if you do not quit. And every time I've listened to our speaker, her shares, it's full of perseverance. It's full of not giving up. And it's always filled me with a lot of hope. So please join me in welcoming Ellen G. from Marin County. Okay. Hi. 
Oh, this is really nice. Um, my name is Ellen. I'm a very grateful compulsive overeater. Uh, oh, sounds good. I'm so glad I went to the marathons this morning. Um, I get to hear all of your wisdom and your experience, and I'm humbled to be up here. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm going to do something different. Um, I've shared my story a lot of times, and some of you may have heard them, may have, may, may have not. Um, but I decided to mix things up a little bit and start in a different place. So I made notes this time just to keep myself a little more focused um, so I can keep track of the sequence because I'm going to tell it in a little bit of a different sequence than I normally do. So I want to start in 1979. And 1979 was 10 years after I first came into program. And in 1979, um, I had moved to Northern California with my ex-husband and my two kids. And I had stopped coming to meetings because I couldn't tell the truth. OA is a place where I learned to tell the truth. I really did not know how to do that until I came into these rooms. And the reason I couldn't tell the truth was because that marriage was really dangerous. It was getting very dangerous for me and my kids. Um, My ex-husband was in trouble with the law. And I was afraid to talk about that marriage because I knew if I talked about it at meetings and told the truth, I was going to have to leave. And I was afraid to leave. So I stopped talking, I stopped going to meetings because that was all I knew how to do. And of course, at, I'll tell you more about my previous history and weight loss, but at that point, I'd been abstinent for quite a while. And I put on during that period of time about 25 pounds. But that was the lowest bottom I ever had. Because once you've been in program a while, and I'd been in program you know, five or six years, you know, I'd come in 10 years before that. Um, It doesn't leave you. And it only makes compulsive eating feel worse. And, you know, I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was doing to myself. I knew the danger I was putting my kids in, my life in, and I couldn't stop. And I was suicidal, and the only thing that kept me alive was those two kids, because I couldn't bear the thought of abandoning them. So fortunately, because higher power never left me, I was guided and led to Al-Anon. And Al-Anon helped me deal with that marriage, because my ex-husband was an addict. And fortunately, recovery in that program helped me get out of that marriage and get a divorce. My Al-Anon sponsor said to me, you need to go back to OA. And I'm, she knew me really well. So that is exactly what I did. And I'm going to come back to 1980 when I did come back to OA. But now I just want to back up and tell you about my childhood, you know, and I, I'm not unique. We all, we all have history. We all have baggage. 
but we are unique in certain ways, so I'll tell you about my individual life. Um, my dad was 57 when I was born, and my mom was 27. He was um, very talented, very charismatic, very successful, and he also was a rageaholic. Those rages were fueled by alcohol, and um, I have an aunt who lived with us when I was very young who called him an alcoholic. And he may, they may very well have been, but he was never, you know, was never uh, acknowledged. Um, I have a family history of obesity. On my mother's side of the family, um, I have uh, a first cousin who died of morbid obesity. And on my father's side of the family, he was married before my mother and had four kids who were around my mother's age. And one of his kids, a son, died of morbid obesity. Um, my aunt, who lived with us when I was my mother's youngest sister, was obese and left because she was fighting with my mother constantly about her weight. And when she went away, she moved back east to Chicago, and I don't think she ever got into recovery. I think she was a controlled, maybe anorexic, I don't know, maybe bulimic, but she lost all of that weight. Um, but she was very obsessed with her weight her whole life. Um, and I had the feeling all, uh, for a long time that she was doing it by white knuckling. Um, so when I was growing up, my mother had a history of this problem with dealing with her younger sister, and then here I came along. And, you know, food was my, my solace. It was my comfort. And it worked when I was a kid. It was very comforting in that house. It was, I lived in an environment where I was afraid to bring my friends home from school because I never knew when one of my father's rages was going to happen, and it would be really embarrassing and humiliating and scary. His rages were really scary. So I became what I like to call my mother's problem to be fixed. I was an only child. I was my mother's only child. So... A lot of the way I was raised, because my father was in show business, we, it was kind of living in a fishbowl. And so how you looked, your appearance, was what really mattered. And so, of course, as a compulsive eater, it didn't show so much when I was young because I'm tall, but I was putting on weight. And by the time I was an adolescent, I was overweight, always overweight. And we spent humiliating hours shopping for clothes to try and cover it up. I learned to wear a girdle. I learned how to, you know, all of the discomfort that goes along with that. Um, the humiliation of shopping for bathing suits, much less wearing one, really horrible. Um, so I remember going to college and being on, in those days there was something called MetraCal, and, you know, it was something you drank every day, and it was supposed to help you lose weight. And I remember going off to college with Metrical. Um, and so my immediate solution when I went off to college, because of the way I rebel, rebel, the only way I could rebel against my parents was in my head. 
because I had to be this good girl and always look, try to look good. Of course, it was difficult. But anyway, um, when I went off to college, my solution was to fall in love immediately, or almost immediately, with someone who was totally, um, how do I say this, the complete opposite of what my parents would have approved of. So when my friends, when I was in high school, were admiring the movie stars, my hero was a comedian named Lenny Bruce. (laughs) And for those of you who don't know who he was, (laughs) he was irreverent, he was an addict, he was, you know, um, profane, and he went to jail um, and died, an addict. Um, He was my hero, because that kind of tells you you know, where I was. So I fell in love with the closest person I could find who resembled Lenny Bruce. (laughs) And he was seven years older than me, just gotten out of the Navy, very irreverent, very funny. Um, I was totally in love with him. And I married him. And I was pregnant when I got married. So this was a problem for my mother, Fortunately, I was in Northern California, and she was in Southern California. So my mother's way of dealing with things, and I'm going to, you know, remember my history. The reason I stopped coming to OA was because I couldn't tell the truth. My mother's way of dealing with life was to lie about it. So she let everybody know that this child, I was pregnant when I got married, that he actually, that he was premature, which was not true, and he weighed four pounds, 11 ounces when he was born. So my mother told this to all my friends, all of her friends. Fortunately, I was living in Northern California, so nobody could know that, what the reality was. But this is how I learned to deal with shame. You know, this is what I know. And this is what I did for most of my life while I was a compulsive eater, was lie about it. So, or pretend, I mean, it's like this joke, like, like what, nobody can see? that you're a compulsive eater, of course they can see. Um, so the good thing about getting married was that I actually discovered I liked being a mother. And, um, three, and I could also eat for my heart's content because I'm living in Northern California. Nobody, you know, I, nobody's around to watch what I'm doing. I'm gaining weight with each success. So three years later, I had, excuse me, <clears throat> I had another child, another boy, and with each child, I gained weight. Um, so, you know, that part of it was the good part. Um, I had, throughout that period of time, there were many attempts to diet, you know, many attempts to, you know, pills, shots, doctors, all of the above, never successful. And mostly, I just kept on eating and couldn't stop. And mostly it was sweets. And it was mostly in secret, because that's how I always ate. Nobody, I didn't eat in front of other people. So that was another issue. In, um, I'm getting to 1970. So in 1969, and this is going to resonate, I guess, with Tom's story. Um, 1969, I'm living, I've moved back to L.A. with my husband and one son, and our marriage is in trouble. He's been diagnosed as an alcoholic, and 
we're starting group therapy. And the therapist is this very charismatic woman who actually had a TV show at the time. And she said to me, you know, she said to all of us, I need to see each one of you individually if you're going to come and stay in these groups. So I started seeing her, and I actually didn't even realize I was in therapy. I just thought, I'm just seeing this woman for, I don't know, an hour every week. And I, oh, it's therapy. Oh. And she said to me, you eat like an alcoholic drinks. And um, in 1969, I had gone to one OA meeting. So you can tell by my fascination with Lenny Bruce, I was an atheist or an agnostic at the time. In those days, we had meetings. We didn't have many people with long-term abstinence, so we would have people from AA come and speak at our meetings. So the first meeting I went to was in a church. It was an AA speaker. He was talking about God. And I thought, I don't know what the heck I'm doing here. I just want to lose weight. I have no idea what these people are talking about. And so it took me another year to get back, but I did hear that message that the therapist said to me. And I did realize that they had used words that I had never heard before. You are, I am, we are compulsive eaters. And I identified 100% with that. That's exactly what I was. Um, So in 1970, I went to my, I started going to OA meetings. And in the first year, I practiced the first step. And I lost about 50 pounds. First time in my adult life that I had ever somewhat lost some weight that looked relatively, where I looked relatively thinner. And what I didn't realize all those years when I thought, oh my God, if I ever lose this weight, life will be perfect and wonderful, I discovered how terrifying it was to approach getting to a healthy, normal body weight. I was terrified. And my ex-husband was incredibly jealous because I was starting to get a lot of attention. So, you know, I have a big issue these days with really sharing with people that it's so important to work toward a healthy body weight. And I know that the definition of, of um, compulsive eating is that we refrain from compulsive eating and compulsive eating behaviors while working toward or maintaining a healthy body weight. I really believe that because I was in program, and thank God for all of you and the support I got, I was able to confront that terror. And for me, that was a real crisis. Never finding out what it was like to live in a relatively thin body. So at that point, um, I was still working the first step. I was holding on with white knuckles, but on the other hand, there was a lot of ego involved. I was getting a lot of, you know, attention for being thinner. But it doesn't work if you're only working the first step. Nothing changes, really. So I was dieting, basically, and using the support of meetings and all of you, who I made my higher power, to stay abstinent. But ultimately, I had to It didn't work. And ultimately, I started binging again. And guess what? Lying about it. 
because that's what I knew how to do. So when people asked me to speak at meetings, because we didn't have many people who had lost a lot of weight in those days, I would lie about it and say, well, my kids are sick or I can't make it. And Anyway, to make a long story short, this went on for a long time of binging and lying about it. And, of course, starting to gain weight again. I had one final binge where my marriage was coming apart. I took the two kids. We went down to Palm Springs. And I ate nonstop that weekend. It was the longest, worst binge I'd ever had. And I came back, and I went to the person who'd been my sponsor, and I told the truth. And she said, welcome to OA. (laughs) Big surprise. Let's start working the rest of the steps. And so that's what we did. And I have to say that, um, you know, in those days, it was the early 70s, a lot of people in this country were doing spiritual searching. It was a real period of time for that. And I did a lot of that. And, and I must say I'm very grateful that that was the time I lived in because it opened up a lot of doors for me. And, um, and I was able to find a concept of a higher power that I could relate to, that I believed in, that I could trust. And that's been the foundation of my entire years of abstinence. Um, I have to say that, again, you know, I could not have done this without the support. And, you know, this is the together part with the support of all of you and all of those people who sat in these rooms and listened to me and all my fears and all my doubts and all of my struggles with anger, with, you know, uh, relationships, all of those problems. Um... And the bottom line is fear. The bottom line is always fear. So um, I got divorced during that period of time. And then in 1972, another brilliant thing happened. I fell in love with another crazy addict. So the thing is, you know, I'm not well. I'm still crazy. And particularly because, you know, I was a mother at 19 I had no experience with relationships at all. Um, So, you know, relationships have always been a little tricky for me. And so I fell in love again, met somebody who was in program, actually, but very crazy. But I fell in love with him. And I was warned against the relationship, but that didn't stop me, um, being the rebel that I was. Um, But I have to say that... um, and I'm going to short, shorten all that awful period of time in my life to say that with that man, we moved to Northern California, and that brings me up to the 1979 and getting to Al-Anon, and Al-Anon bringing me in 1980 to, back to OA again. And in 1980, I go to a meeting, and I qualify as a newcomer. This is in Northern California now. So nobody knows me. Nobody knows my history that I've been in OA for years in Southern California and that I had some success in the program. And in those days at that meeting, if you had 30 days of abstinence, you had to become a food sponsor. It was just, that was the rule. I'm not say I'm, I'm not, I kind of wish it was like that again because I think we need more sponsors and I think people are afraid to sponsor and think it has to be some big responsibility and if you've worked... If you've got enough 
of 30 days abstinence, you can sponsor somebody through that first step and do it together. I strongly encourage people to sponsor. So that was the beginning in 1980 of 38 years of abstinence. How that happened, I have no idea, except to say, thank you, except to say that the program works if you work it. And I really do work the program hard. Um, The spiritual search deepened my trust in a higher power. I just, I don't know how to say this other than the program, this, what makes our program unique is the spiritual part of this program. We are not like other diet clubs or weight loss programs. There is a spiritual component, and that spiritual component is what has held me for all these years and the fellowship of this program. I returned to college. I got a degree. Um, While at one point all three of us, my two sons and I, were in college at the same time, in those days you could get financial aid. I got financial aid for all of us, and... um, I actually was led, and I really believe all of what happened since 1980 is part of the spiritual connection I've had with my higher power. I do believe that I've been led to everything that happened since then. And um, so I was led to go back to college. I was led to discover a career that I absolutely loved and practiced for 30 years and um, retired about four years ago. And... um, I would never, I mean, I could not have imagined that that would be my life, and it's been a wonderful life. Um, I healed the relationship with my mother and was with her when she died. My relation, I healed the relationship and made lots of amends to my sons, who I'm really, really proud of, the men they are today, and we're very close. Um, people talk in this program about healing relationships. This is one of the great fringe benefits of this program, healing relationships. Um, So when I retired, um, you know, this idea that it's all going to be like wonderful, easy, terrific, except the only problem was that within that first year of my retirement, I was diagnosed with brain cancer. And then I was diagnosed with lung cancer, and then I was di- and then I had heart surgery. So, like within the first three years of my retirement, I went through major surgery, and all the while, I swear to you, I was led through all of it. I mean, because of the relationship with my sons, they were like pillars throughout this whole thing. They were just incredible, and the doctors all said to me, "You're going to re- the reason you're recovering from these surgeries so quickly." is because of your health. And it's really true. I mean, I, years ago when I started losing weight, started practicing yoga, and it's been a saving grace for me. One of, I I don't know, I'm going to get diverted, but I just want to say this. You know, there are side effects from being obese. And one of the side effects in my life has been spinal problems. And finally, somebody who had some sense, looked at my body and had me stand sideways and looked at the curvature of my spine and said, were you ever in an accident? And I said, no. I said, one thing I will tell you is that I lost about 75 pounds. And he said, oh, that explains it. 
So when I lost all that weight, the balance, the way I stand, shifted forward, out of balance. And I've had spinal problems ever since. I still have it. I still do. So, you know, there's a toll that our bodies take. But the grace is that yoga has really helped me extremely. And so I strongly encourage people to use physical exercise as part of their plan of action. Um, And it doesn't have to be that. It can be anything that you do that supports the health of your body. Um, I guess I want to talk about what I do today. I mean, I, there's so many things I could talk about, but I've been in this program for so many years, and, and, and you know, we could be here a long time. So I'm going to talk about today and what I do each day as a daily action plan. Um, first thing I do when I wake up in the morning, I'm lying in bed, and I think about, thank you, I think about the day ahead and what's my plan for the day ahead. I turn it over to God. There's always certain things that I know I want to accomplish that particular day, but mostly I put it in God's hands. But I do think about the day ahead, and and hopefully some part of that day is going to include some very important parts that have to do with program. So then I get up, I read Voices of Recovery or listen to it. I give away a 10-step that I've written the night before, and this has been going on for years. This is not just what I do one day at a time. I mean, I've been doing this one day at a time for years. This is my daily plan. So I'll tell you about my 10th step when I get to the end of the day. But I write the 10th step the night before. And then in the morning, I call somebody and I give it away to them. And they just listen. Sometimes if I want feedback or if I, I'll ask for it and they'll give it to me. But other than that, it's just a means to give it away. I receive phone calls from sponsees. Thank goodness people call me because I'm not a great caller myself. Um, I get their food plans. I have to just say about my own food plan, you know, abstinence from compulsive eating is one thing. Food plan is something else. And food plan changes and can change over time. And it did need to change for me as I lost weight. I can't eat as much today as I used to eat in those days. And my food plan has been pretty much, you know, when Tom referred to gray sheet, my food plan hasn't really changed that much. It's three meals a day with nothing in between. I still weigh and measure when I'm at home. I'm, it's just habit. I mean, I don't think about it. I just do it. When I go out, I don't take a scale with me. But I know what to eat, and I always check out where I'm going to eat and whether they're going to have what I can ha- that I, whether they're going to have what I can eat. But I've discovered I can pretty much eat abstinently anywhere. Um, so I listen to my sponsees' food plans. Um, I do floor exercises that support my yoga. I'm going to go to a couple of classes a week. Um, a three, I commit the fact that I'm going to have three abstinent meals a day with nothing in between. The food craving has really been lifted. It really has. The promises of the program happen. And, but it's a one-day reprieve. And I know, because when I went back out there and gained 25 pounds, that my compulsion was as severe, worse, 
than it had been when I started. I was right back to the very down and dirty eating that I had done at the very end of my eating career. So it's a, it's a progressive disease, like alcoholism is. Um, so I still do that. I say thank you to God throughout my day. I really have to acknowledge the role that higher power plays in my life throughout my day. It's not enough to just do these things in the morning. I do pray and meditate every morning, and I use a God box. For those of you who don't know what a God box is, maybe you all do, but um, I, you know, I got one at a retreat a long time ago, made one. You can use any kind of box you want. But for me, it's something I keep on my nightstand. I have post-its by my nightstand. And when I can't fall asleep at night, I write down the name of the person or the situation. And I stick it in my God box. And I can pretty much go to sleep that night because I know it's in God's hands. Um, and then I write a 10th step in bed. And I'm just going to describe the format of my 10th step because I, writing has been a major tool. I'm, you know... I could talk about all the steps, and I'm so glad that Tom covered so many of them. But the 10th step is really important for me, for my emotional sanity. One of the things, as you know, you can tell from my story, I'm not good at talking about what's going on in my life. And my habitual history has been, I will tell you how I got through something after I got through it, not when it's going on. I've learned in this program that I need to make outreach calls every day. For the littlest things, as somebody earlier said, it's the little things. It's not the big things. It's the little things I need to reach out for. So I need to make phone calls during the day. I need to write. Whatever I need to do to deal with my emotional sobriety. Because it is in here. It's the, the insanity is in there. Um, so my tenth step. Um, yeah. I write... What, what am I... Oh, okay, I'm going to do this really fast. Um, all right, well, I, maybe I won't go through the details of my 10th step, but if you're interested in asking me about my 10th step, um, I'll be happy to tell you about it afterward. Um, I want to say that I have met, never meant to do this alone. I never could. The big book of AA is my Bible. Working the 12 steps of the program continues to help me to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can. Um, the fellowship I receive and continue to receive allows me to deal with life on life's terms. Zorba calls it the whole catastrophe. That is life, for sure. Um, I have to say that I'm achieving and maintaining a healthy body weight has been, for all these years, has allowed me to feel I am being my authentic self. And that's the part that I just really wanted to say at the very end. I can only be the best possible Ellen there is. That's it. There is no, nothing else. I can't be the best you. I can't be the best anybody. But I can try to be the best possible me. And so that's, you know, for me that's a tall order. And I don't, have, don't think I'll ever achieve it. But it's worth working for. Um, I'm going to take a risk and read one more thing to you. I know my time is up. One more thing. Um, this is something I read at the end of every share that I'm, that's from the for today, I to put my glasses on, I'm sorry. And it's from, um, uh, it's from July 24th, 2008. And 
goes like this. I will probably never understand exactly what happened to me when I came to Overeaters Anonymous. I have no frame of reference for surrender or spiritual awakening. These events, which happen simultaneously, constitute by far the most beautiful experience of my life. The gifts placed before me in the wake of this experience are equally mysterious. I am unshakably abstinent. I go through all the ups and downs of my life without having to eat over anything. That in itself is a miracle enough, but there's more. Each one of the promises of the big book is coming true. God is doing for me what I could not do for myself. It's all an incomparably beautiful mystery. And then the last thing says, I celebrate the miracle of my new life in OA. Thank you all.